But the thing that they asked me in that pageant was, what do you value most about your life? And in that response, I said second chances. So Mm -hmm. from that point forward, my whole message and mission was about second chances, that everyone deserves one, everyone needs one. And if you have an opportunity to give one, you should, because what you give to the world, it's going to come back to you. Welcome to This Mom Knows. I'm your host, Jen Uren. Learning to live your life in a way that makes the most of the interests, skills, and opportunities we were each given isn't always intuitive. Whitney Chafin knows how combining profit and passion can give you the freedom to do the thing you were made to do. And for her, it's to help change lives by giving people a new start or second chance with skills to help them succeed. Join us as we chat about how she learned these things firsthand. Whitney Chafin is a powerhouse. Originally from Ohio, she's now a resident of South Florida where she has traded snow for sandy beaches. Whitney is a real estate expert who speaks to and teaches people across the country how to invest in real estate. Having experienced personal challenges and loss, she turned to volunteering and discovered the joy of helping others succeed. Today, she partners her business success with several nonprofit endeavors, including Whitney's Place, where the problem of homelessness is being addressed by providing second chances with housing for people in recovery or transitioning out of prison, as well as helping them invest in real estate as they lay the foundation for their financial security. Whitney is a new mom to her son, Dax, as well as being a brand new podcaster with her podcast, The Real Estate Mamas. So welcome, Whitney. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here today. Well, I'm glad you're here. Now that bio gave us some broad strokes, um, but tell us a little bit more. Like Ohio to Florida, that is a huge change. So what motivated your move? Um, mostly the weather and the sunshine, um, where I grew up in Ohio is very gray, like physically gray. I would so say you were probably. by a great lake. Yes. Well, sort of. Yes. Yeah. So okay. where I went to college, we were by the great lakes where I'm originally from is near actually the Ohio river on the border okay. of Pennsylvania, West Virginia and Ohio still very gray there. But my college town was super gray. Like I remember going and walking to class in the winter and the the campus is built like a wind tunnel. So not only do you have the snow hitting you in the face, but there's also no sunshine. So yeah, yeah, I moved to Florida for the heat and the weather. God, I moved from Minneapolis to Chicago area. And while it was colder in Minnesota, it was sunny all winter because we didn't have the lake to produce all the the clouds and stuff. So it makes a huge difference. It really does. And I mean, it really had to do with my morale, you know, back home, I was a happy kid, I would say, but I almost kind of always felt like a big fish in a little pond. And I, I truly think the weather, I truly think the weather had something to do with that. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It is. It's a real thing. So what are your, some of your favorite things to do in Florida now that you're down there permanently. Um, Now that I'm a new mom, a lot of my day is with my kid. You know, a lot of times we'll go on walks and things like that. But with, before I became a mom, um, I loved going and running this bridge that we have that overlooks the intercoastal and takes Mm. you to the ocean. I used to do that every morning. I would meditate on the beach every morning. Um, I would do a lot of, um, 
hip hop dance, actually. I used to take hip hop dance classes for fun, which was always helpful yeah. in, in terms of like, uh, you know, physical fitness and just your overall mentality. It was always fun to do. But um, I would say the most Floridian thing I like to do is go to the beach. And then on occasion, we'll go on boats with family and friends, which is always a good time. Wonderful. Well, good. Well, today we're going to talk about the thing that you know, which is real estate and using that in building wealth. Um, but before we get started, let's get a little bit of your backstory. So um, why real estate? How did you get involved with real estate in the first place? So I grew up in a family that was, I mean, real estate investors. We, My parents owned properties since before I was even born. I think the 80s is when my dad really started investing. And then by the time I was about 11 years old, my dad had already owned 12 properties. So I was kind of bred in real estate, whether I wanted to be an investor or not. <laughs> Much of my childhood was spent um, actually renovating properties with my dad and my brother and my mom. We uh, have, I have several memories as a child, but I remember being like five or six years old. My parents would give us a section of the property to paint and we would paint with like little, you know, play school paintbrushes and they would have to go over it afterwards. But yeah. my dad tried to get us involved at a young age and for a long time, I didn't like real estate. I just, I felt like it took me away from my childhood because we were working at a very young age when my friends would be outside playing and had no understanding, you know, of work at six and seven years old. So as I grew up, I, I didn't really want to go that route. I really wanted to be on TV and be in broadcasting. And my voice is kind of faint now, but um, I, I have a good speaking voice. So I was always like, you know, I, I'm just going to get into TV. I'll do entertainment news. And I did for a little bit, but I started learning that I, I really did not like working for someone else. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like that trading time for money, you know, 40 hours a week, you're, you're working a nine to five. And then I was living in Florida with a 40 hour a week work job with all my friends and family back home still. And I'm like, this sucks. Like I can never go home to see family and friends. I can never go on vacation unless it's my time off for one week after I've accrued it. So I, I just kind of had an epiphany when I was about 25 years old that I didn't want to do that. And for years, my dad had tried to preach to me, like, you need to do real estate. You need to learn how to do it. You need to buy property. You need to passive income and cash flow. And I just didn't have that like understanding of what that actually meant until I got to the point in my own life where I was like, there's gotta be something else. So mm. at 25 years old, I actually went to a, a free real estate workshop, which happened to be the exact same workshop that my dad went to when I was only 11 years old with oh. the same company and everything. Um, but he, he still, he works for the company actually. So let's backtrack a little bit. When I was 11 years old, my dad and mom had already owned 12 properties, commercial properties, rental properties, all of that. But my dad had heard an infomercial on TV about, you know, flipping houses and doing it with none of your own money. And so that kind of triggered something in him because yes, he was already doing the business and he already owned properties, but he was using all of his own money to do it. So to have this idea of other people's money, it was interesting to him. So he goes to this free real estate workshop and at the workshop, they sell him into like a three-day training about how to flip houses and, you know, do it with none of your own money. So he paid whatever the fee was. I think it was like $2,000 at the time to go to this three-day workshop. So he goes to this three-day workshop. And then at that three-day workshop, they sell him into another thing. You know, that's kind of the theme of seminars. But but what was interesting is that the three-day workshop, what they, they offered him was the opportunity to learn a strategy from A to Z in a course and then also have hands-on mentorship. And that's the one thing he didn't have was like a mentor and coach analyzing what he had already done and helping him tweak it to really maximize his time. So 
in a matter of six months of him getting educated and spending whatever, 20 grand or something to get a mentor, he ended up going from 12 properties to 60 in those six months using none of his own money. So when that happened, the company was like, whoa, you're doing what we say. You're, you know, you're the walking billboard. Basically, we want to bring you on and be a trainer and mentor. So that was in 2002, I think. So my dad has been a part of this company that he encouraged me to go be a part of for 15 years at the time. So he told me when I was 25 years old, you know, there's a free workshop in Miami in your area. You should go and, and learn, you know, what it is I've been trying to tell you, you need to learn. So Mm -hmm. I go to the free workshop and the trainer at the time, her name was Nicole. She knew I was coming and she knew my dad and knew like, okay, Whitney's ready finally. So I went to her free workshop. A week later, I went to a three-day training. It was taught by a guy named Jason. And Jason taught me a lot about credit cards and using credit cards to buy real estate. And it was so funny because as he's teaching the concept at the front of the room, I remember my dad teaching me that when I was like 14 years old, but it was like, it was out of sight, out of mind. I didn't even know I knew it. So he's showing at the front of the room and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know this stuff. I can't believe that all these years I've been saying, no, dad, I don't want to do it. This makes sense. So from there, I went on and took more courses. And I think three months after that training, I did my very first real estate deal, which was called a wholesale deal. And that I made about $3,000. And then two months after that, I did my second deal. And that second deal was a drug and alcohol recovery home where we housed 12 men uh, in drug and alcohol addiction. And that was in August of 2016. Okay, excellent. So isn't that interesting how our parents, I mean, you're going to learn this as your son gets older, we can say and they can say and we don't listen and someone else says it and you're like, oh, (laughs) so yes, the mom's best friend is her best friend to come along and say, yeah, no, (laughs) it's so funny too. I mean, even I went to school for broadcasting and I did a lot of videography when I went for that field. And Mm -hmm. it's so funny because my dad actually owned a DJ, DJ and video service production company for 30 years. So it's like, even though I wasn't on the real estate path, I was still following his path of emceeing and, you know, videography, which was funny. Yes. That's so fun. So on the one hand, you're very passionate about business. And on the other hand, you started to mention it there. You're passionate about giving back. So, um, why did you start to volunteer? And what was it that sort of made you think, you know, I, I could make a bigger impact by founding an organization rather than just, you know, volunteering my time. I guess it's kind of that time and money trade. Yes. And so uh, for me, the whole giving aspect came after I went through a depression. I was living in California right after college. And I actually was I had moved there to work for Access Hollywood uh, to be the the um, nanny and assistant to the host, Kit Hoover. And I was her nanny for a year and was kind of like her personal assistant at home. And unfortunately, when I was there, I got really depressed because I lived very far away from all my friends and family, literally on the exact opposite side of the country. Um, we had the time change. So mm-hmm. I felt like I was always behind with keeping up with my friends and family. Um, I had several negative things happen to me when I lived there like family members passing away and breakups and, you know, everything that could be traumatizing to a 21 year old. But the final straw for me was when I had a friend who had a drug overdose and he died. And that was kind of my pinnacle of like, okay, I don't need to be here anymore. I really do need to go home because I was depressed. I had spent eight months building up this depression and then losing a friend like that and not having anyone to comfort me in that, that hard time was very difficult. So, um, I ended up reading a book and I I don't even remember what book it was. It might've been like the power of now or Mm -hmm. something about 
being present and giving. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was, but I read somewhere in there that, you know, you, you can sometimes overcome depression by giving back to other people or by volunteering. And so it was crazy how it all worked out. I left California and I started working at a car dealership and I have know nothing about car sales, but it was any job I could get to get me out of LA to get me back to the East Coast. And so at this car dealership, the unique thing is the owner of the dealership was completely blind, like no usable vision. And so a lot of their advertising, they didn't want to do print ads because he and his, his brother, who was also blind, they both ran the dealership. They couldn't see the ad. So they were like, you know, we could do TV ads. And that was part of what I did is I did their TV commercials. But what we really want to do is give back to the less fortunate in the community. So they wanted to do a lot of grassroots advertising where they would give $25,000 to a nonprofit and then have vehicles on display and be their presenting sponsor for whatever cycle of events that nonprofit's going to put on for a period of time. So I got super involved with a lot of nonprofits through my work. And it ended up being more than 55 organizations that I worked with at the dealership. But the, the first group I worked with was a, a organization called Place of Hope. And they actually house children who are aging out of foster care. So that was the first time I saw real estate paired with a nonprofit. And it didn't even trigger you know, me at that point that that's something that I could do. It wasn't until much later where it all made sense. And I was like, oh, wow, like, this is something that could actually be a business opportunity and, you know, be more advantageous because you're not just giving time to an organization, you're actually providing a home. So I think just, you know, through the years, everything kind of intertwined and trickled down to be what it was, but it was that, that job at the dealership where I really learned about volunteering and the importance and the impact it can have. And by working for somebody who, you know, could not see at all and yet found so much desire to give to others. It was really, really um, inspiring. Yeah. And how interesting that they owned a car dealership when they I couldn't know. drive. I know. <laughs> it's crazy. And it's, and they, so they uh, were able to see at one point, but they have a disease okay. called macular degeneration. Yes. So by the time they were each 40, they couldn't see. So okay. it was pretty interesting watching them run a dealership, you know, and, and profitable. It was, it was yeah. profitable and they were really did it for 55 years. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, you started Whitney's Place. Tell us a little bit more about that and the impact that it has had. So Whitney's Place really is a housing provider. And uh, also what it can do, though, is connect people to resources. So I'm extremely connected to drug and alcohol treatment centers here in Florida, as well as in Ohio. But I'm also super connected to all those nonprofits that I worked with. So mm -hmm. if someone is needing a second chance, I can either you know provide them an opportunity to have work or to get food stamps or to get their GED or whatever it is. I'm affiliated with Legacy Education, which is who books these podcasts for me. And we're an education company that allows for people to get a college degree for less than $10,000 online. And we also have the ability to teach people how to invest in real estate. So, you know, if somebody's coming out of prison and they can't go get a job or live in a, a place because of a criminal background, I can help them you know, find another piece of work by becoming an investor or yeah. by providing housing for them because I understand what it takes to, you know, get out of that kind of uh, felony background or whatever background yeah. they have that's kind of carrying with them. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, one thing we didn't share um, about you is that you competed in the Miss Florida pageant. I did. And yeah. I know one of the reasons that you did that was so that you could use that as a platform for spreading the message um, and garnering support for for Whitney's Place and some of your other volunteer avenues. Mm -hmm. um, 
outlets. But tell us a little bit more about that experience and did it do what you were hoping it would do? It did and it didn't. I think okay. it, it did more for me than I, uh, let me say it this way. It did something different for me than I originally expected, but it was even better. So um, the whole pageant thing was I was actually nominated to compete because of all the philanthropy work I was doing. I was doing everything that the Miss Florida USA winner and even the contestants were doing. I just didn't really have a platform or recognition for it. So one of the the local people with the organizations I worked with said, you should compete. Well, in order to get to Miss Florida, you have to qualify. So you have to actually compete in a preliminary pageant. And I had never competed in a pageant. I think when I was 18, I was in a, a queen thing back home because I was homecoming queen. So you're automatically like enrolled into this queen of queens pageant, but it's not really like a competition. So this was the first time I really had to learn how to walk, how to pose, how to do makeup, how to do hair, all of it. And I was never a tomboy growing up, but I, I mean, the way people do makeup now with, you know, the painting on the face and all the crazy stuff, I knew nothing about that. I could put on some blush and eyeshadow and that's all I really knew. But mm -hmm. for this pageant world, these girls take this very seriously. So, you know, my thought of pageants prior to this was more about, you know, kind of like the Miss Congeniality movie. You think that they're just pretty faces, but they're actually, they're, there's so much more to these girls. And I learned that. And mm -hmm. the first pageant I had to do was uh, in January of the year I competed in Miss Florida, which I think was 2015 or 16. And you had to, you know, do a speech, answer a question, walk out in your gown and swimwear, whatever. And I ended up winning that pageant, which was Miss Art Deco. So I represented the art district of Miami. Okay. But the thing that they asked me in that pageant was, what do you value most about your life? And in that response, I said second chances. So mm -hmm. from that point forward, my whole message and mission was about second chances, that everyone deserves one, everyone needs one. And if you have an opportunity to give one, you should, because what you give to the world, it's going to come back to you. And from that point forward, that was my platform. So while I thought, oh, I'm going to win Miss Florida and become this face of whatever, and it was more ego that I was doing it for, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that my entire life from that point forward now became about second chances. And that's my, my, what I speak on, you know, globally when I travel and I talk about real estate, it's what I do for other people. I even need some second chances in my life. So it's crazy what it actually did end up doing for me. Mm, that's wonderful. Yes. Um, grace is another way we often say it in our family. We all need yes. grace because yes, we, we make do. mistakes. <laughs> we do certainly. And I'm learning that as a mom. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, as your business began to grow, um, because we're big on systems over here at This Mom Knows, um, how did you first kind of discover the power of leveraging systems to help you you delegate? Because obviously you're not doing all of this yourself. Um, and what is the best system that you ever implemented? So, okay, a couple things. One of my systems, which isn't like an actual technical system, but one thing that helps me more with time and also easing anxiety because I'm a very anxious person with a lot of energy that balls up and I have to do a lot of, you know, things that bring me back to the present. Mm -hmm. One thing that really helps me is getting ready the night before. Mm -hmm. If I wait until the morning to, you know, make my to-do list or figure it out, I've already wasted time. So I try to have my own system of, you know, making an agenda or writing in my journal or setting up the day the night before. And I yep. actually have a meditation journal that, that has you do a, a morning practice and an evening practice. So that helps me kind of get back to present and then wake up, refresh the next day to set out the day. But another system I've used that's more so 
for real estate specifically. Mm -hmm. It's called RESS and it's a real estate tool that helps you actually find properties and uh, all the information about properties all with a click of a button. So you don't actually have to physically drive around and look at houses nice. and physically run your numbers. And that now that I'm a mom and because of all the, the differences that happened with COVID and how you can't go mm -hmm. knock on someone's door to find out information, that system has been a life changer. It really has. It's helped me just maximize my business and my time because now I can be with my son and not have to physically be driving around packing yeah. bottles and diapers and all of that. Yeah. And then when you do have to do that, you know, it's for, you reserve that for those really important things. Exactly. So. And then even if I, I have to do that, the bottles are prepared the night before. <laughs> yes. And that is a real system doing yep. your evening routine. So I'll, I'll often say that a routine is just a practiced system. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's excellent. And uh, it makes a big difference. There's no surprises when you have it, your evening routine yep. down. <laughs> yep. hundred percent. And again, like I said, I'm anxious. So at times I'll go to bed with all that stuff in my brain and then yeah. wake up still having that feeling. And it's like, I don't even want that. If I can just get clear the night before, then I can re relax and go to sleep and wake up feeling like I can seize the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost that difference between I have to remember and I've written it down. You know, it just, yes. it shifts it off of you and onto something else without you losing it. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, that's excellent. Well, most mompreneurs um, build their business while they're parenting, but you kind of came into it in the opposite order. Um, so how has becoming a mom changed your day-to-day -day priorities, um, particularly with your business? And did you have to make any changes in your business structure? Um, or had you sort of already gotten to this point where you had the freedom and flexibility to just slide into motherhood? Not that it's, anyone slides into no, motherhood. No, I know. <laughs> I, I've actually been, so I had a lot of stuff built before, but I felt like I was just getting it built. Okay. So in 2018, I started speaking professionally, but I only spoke a few events. 2019, I was, I think I spoke 32 weeks out of the year. I made more money in that year than I made my entire life added up from speaking. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened. And then eight months later, I got pregnant. So it was almost like I was just getting there to the peak to actually elevate in a very big way. And it kind of, you know, took a little dip, but, um, it took the best dip because I've always wanted to be a mom and I'm getting older, you know, I'm going to be 32 at the end of April and not that that's old by any means, but I'm ready for a family. I'm ready to be a mom. And I've been ready. I feel like since I was like 21 or 22. And the biggest thing I can say is I've been able to accomplish a lot by the time I was 28, 29, I made, you know, like I said, a lot of money before I ever even became 30 years old. So I'm very, very grateful for that. And I think now the biggest transition I've had to make is knowing that I don't have to be the sole provider and I don't have to do everything myself because much of my work has been a little bit ego driven, but it's been self driven. I've had to do it all. You know, I've been, I, I've taken out the trash my entire life since I was up to 30. So even having like my partner, my, my, husband, um, you know, having to do chores around the house, I can't even like tell him what to do because I'm so used to in condition to just doing everything myself. So the big mm -hmm. shift I've had to make is knowing that I don't have to do it all and that my priority mm -hmm. is my son. And these are the times that I so desperately want to be able to be with him and be present that I'm actually really excited that I did build the business in the way I did, because now I'm doing a lot from home. And mm -hmm. thankfully, because of COVID, I'm doing a lot from home. And and it's been very, you know, um, I think reassuring that I'm on the right path. 
Because for a little bit, I was like, why is this happening to me? Not the pregnancy thing, but COVID. I'm like, why am I now struggling financially and not able to get where I need to go? Why is this happening? And it's like, what happened? Because if I had to slow down myself, I never would have. I needed a pandemic to slow me down. Yes. I could be present (laughs) and become a mom. So now we know why the pandemic happened. That's it. For you. (laughs) No, but I think you're right. There was a lot of... um, there, for as hard as it was and as tragic as the loss of it, there was a lot of positive things I think that really yes. came out, including like in our family, it was, we, we were able to shift to focusing on relationship more yep. because we weren't running around and going yep. and doing. And um, there were some yep. really positive things that did come out of lockdown and uh, <laughs> virtual living. I know. Yeah. Well, I you, was on a plane every week, you know, in a hotel room every week. And I was not even at home. I think I was running an apartment, spending a ton of money renting an apartment that I was in four days out of the month. Yeah. It was a glorified storage unit for your clothes. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you talk a lot too about um, living a life for profit and purpose. So tell us what you mean and what does that look like for you? I've heard people say like, I need the money to give. That's like a big thing. I I would love to give, but I can't until I have kind of mentality. And then I also have heard people say it's, it's wrong if you're helping and you're making money off of the helping. And I, I don't agree with either one. I think that you have to give in order to get to that point, to be able to receive. And then once you start receiving, yes, you continue to give more, but now you've given so much when not having it that you do deserve to be paid for your time to give at that point, you know? So um, the whole profit and purpose message is really about kind of the housing model that I have where I will purchase a home or rent a home from somebody. Then I will fill it with six to 12 people who need a second chance. And each person will pay a fee to live there. But a lot of times that money is coming from the government. So that individual is getting a voucher essentially to have a a home for six to 12 months that they're not paying for. They're getting their feet you know, get back on their feet. I'll get a profit for providing that house because we got to keep on the water, the lights, the cable, you know, all those things. And then I'm paid a fee for my time to do so. I'm not becoming a multimillionaire off of the investment, but we're paid for our time and paid for the property to continue to flow. So most of the profit and purpose is that, but what we're doing is providing a safe place for people to get their life back. Mm-hmm. I have one guy in particular, I won't say his name just to protect him from HIPAA laws, but yeah. when I met him, he was shooting heroin on a regular basis. And he now is almost four years sober, maybe even almost five years. It's been a while. I think he's almost five years sober. He's got a son and now he's getting married and he's living back with his family. And I get messages all the time. Thank you so much because of your home, we've been able to, you know, give a, a great place for him to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel and there is a sense of community. And that's what it's been able to provide. So, you know, I feel like a lot of that stuff, yeah, you're going to make money, but you don't even look at the money because it's about the individual you're helping. Yeah. So it's being passionate about what you're doing and not just, it's not a job, it's a calling. Yes, exactly. And, you yeah. know, so many times people will come to me because I, I teach how to invest in these houses for social good because it doesn't have to be just addiction. It could be homeless veterans. It could be women of domestic violence, whatever. But someone will just say, I just want to make money. If that's your philosophy, you're in the wrong business if you're trying to do social housing because you can't. You cannot have somebody coming to you with their literally their last breath because they want to go get high and would rather be dead than you know, have, have you even be their friend. They're in that low of a place that if all you care about is a dollar, 
yeah, you can't, you can't. And there's people who do there. There are bad people out there that will just take the money to be able to make the money. But if, yeah. if I have anything to do with it, it's going to be people who genuinely, you know, have a passion for whatever group they're helping. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, I know there is a mompreneur listening who is thinking, you know, I would love the freedom and the opportunities that, you know, this financial success would offer, but I am nowhere near that. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you didn't get here overnight, um, but what would you share as one thing that she could do today to start to lay the foundation, you know, for building something that's financially um, successful and gives her freedom? There's a couple of things. One of the main things, I I tend to always say this answer in a podcast interview, but I feel like it just holds so much weight. It's figure out why you want to do whatever it is you want to do. A lot of like, you know, multi-level marketing companies and even podcasts and motivational people talk about your why. Mm -hmm. And what they're really meaning is, yeah, you could say, I want to have the money so I can have financial freedom. But what does that actually mean? What is that meaning for your family? Does that mean that my son is going to be able to go to whatever college he wants? Or that means that you're going to be able to watch your child get married and not have to call off work. You know, whatever the big mission and why is, that's mm-hmm. the first step because none of the things you want to accomplish are going to be easy. But if you remember why you started, when you feel like giving up, you're more than likely not going to because you've got that big, solid core purpose of why you're doing what you're doing. And then from there, once you figure out your why, the thing I always like to do too is figure out what you don't want in your life. Mm-hmm. If you're in a really bad relationship or if you're in um, you know, a really bad job or just a bad circumstance, write down what you don't want and mm-hmm. then you'll figure out exactly what you do want and then focus on that. Put it in a place that you see it every day, whether it's on your mirror and your journal, on a vision board, whatever, and focus on that and then do something every day that's going to get you closer to that goal. Mm-hmm. Let's say, for example you're trying to save money. Well, if you're offered an opportunity to go drink with friends on the weekend, ask yourself, how is this going to affect my goal? You know, is it going to help me get closer to it or take me further away from it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's excellent. My husband often says, how will you know? What will it look like when this thing happens? And I think that's, that's a helpful to go with that. Why? Because, you know, it's easy to go, this is what I want but we don't always define what it looks like in a way that we can then measure because it doesn't feel measurable. Um, experience doesn't feel measurable, but it can actually be if we know what it is we're watching for. I agree. Yep, I yeah, I agree. Well, this has been a great conversation. And as we wrap up here, um, I'm going to ask you one of my favorite questions. I ask every guest because I am a gadget girl. I'm a systems person. So what is your favorite time-saving gadget system or tool? Gadget system or tool? Honestly, I know it's kind of cliche, maybe even obvious, but it's got to be just my iPhone in general. Everything I need, I which is bad. I don't want to be so technologically dependent, but <laughs> I feel like it is the time saver because if yeah. I'm trying to find out an answer, I quickly Google it. If I'm trying to find yeah. information about anything, it's all right here in this device, which I think is a detriment to many of us, but I, I really do believe that it's the it's the one tool that I don't think I could live without. Yeah, especially now that you have a baby and it's got the great camera and yeah. you can share pictures with all the grandparents. That's it. That's <laughs> it. And if we're out to eat and he starts crying, you throw on Coco Melon really quickly. Yes. <laughs> you will lose your mind, but he will be calm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Whitney, how can people connect with you? 
Um, so the best way right now is probably my Instagram, just as which is my name. It's Wit W H I T, and my last name Chafin C H A F F as in Frank I N as in Nancy. Um, I'm just that, that's the only device, the only uh, app that I get notifications for. So if somebody does message me or follow me, I can see that and I follow back. Um, but if they're wanting to learn how to to kind of do the social housing type thing, yeah. we do have a website. It's called LegacyEducation.com, and that is actually where you can take courses to learn how to do what I do. And I'm actually a mentor for people. So if they were to go there, take some courses and they want to have me as a mentor, they can sign up to do that. I do uh, phone mentoring for a lot of our students. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, it'll be fun to follow along and see as your little guy grows. Yes. Oh, I know. He's going so fast. It's crazy how fast they grow. (laughs) Enjoy it. Yes. Thanks so much. Whitney shared some thought-provoking ideas that just may help you see the opportunities or challenges you've been given in a new way. To find her and connect with Whitney, find the links to resources mentioned, or even find a transcript of our conversation, be sure to hop on over to thismomknows.com slash podcast, where you'll find all these things and more. 